The content of this recording is copyrighted by Sandler Systems, LLC. All rights reserved. This is the Building Blocks of Success with Glenn Matson. Well, welcome back to the Building Blocks of Success. You're in season three with session one. Today's topic is about emotional involvement. Now, emotional involvement is a really interesting thing. More times than not, we'll be asked, my gosh, all the time about, Glenn, what are some of the common traits that an average person really needs to take a look at to make sure they can become extraordinary? What are the things that if I'm a manager or an owner of a firm or someone that is looking to become successful in sales or running my own business, what are the attributes that you would consider relatively critical or important inside someone's attitude, if you want to call it that? We get that asked all the time. And, you know, we've been through the success triangle where we understand that there are three-legged stool here, i.e. the triangle. Success is in the middle. We have on the lower right is technique. That's what to say, when to say it, how to say it, right? That's just the science of it all. Behavior really is the activities that you need to do on a consistent basis to get you to the, have the opportunity to use the tactics and strategies in the right environment. So the behavior gets you the game and the techniques well, make sure that you can play well in the game. But then we look at attitude. It's in your heart. It's in your gut. So if you look at attitude as everything inside your skin, inside the, the clothes that you wear, right? Inside the suit, inside the dress. So it's inside your skin. And everything on the outside are things that we do. Those are roles. Those are performance. So as we start to look at today, which is emotional involvement, some would say it's just an attitudinal concern. Some would say it's a technique. But we're going to realize today it's actually a lot more than that and not that difficult to solve. So emotional involvement, when I look at the attitude, the attitude really fits into what I call two global, I don't know, subsets to make it really easy for us. And what I mean by subset is, one part of attitude has to do with what I call crucial elements of success. Now, it's things like your desire, your commitment, your self-esteem, how you view your world. You've heard me use the term outlook. An outlook represents your self-esteem, how you feel about the industry that you're part of, and also how you feel about the company you're part of. And also with the crucial elements of success, you also have the successful mindset. The next successful mindset is really about how you deal with adversity, how you deal with risk, how you deal with failure, how you deal with accountability and ownership. So all those are what I consider really crucial elements of success. If you don't have those, you can have the strongest emotional involvement, very little need for approval, very little issues with fear of money and bad belief systems. So they're both critically important, right? You need the crucial elements of success that drives you to overcome an awful lot. That's what pulls you to address and deal with all your shortcomings. But another side of the fence is your bravery issues. And the bravery issues are things like fear of rejection. And fear of rejection, my gosh, is number one across the board, unilaterally, always has been, 
I don't think it's ever going to change is when you look at sales, especially early on in the sales career where you're doing a lot of prospecting or you're an SDR, which is the role of someone who's prospecting, or if you're newer in certain businesses, maybe you're calling your friends first just to get that affiliation of trust. But at the end of the day, we got to go out and prospect. We have to qualify. We have to ask tough questions. We have to not be lied to, search for truth, et cetera, et cetera. And fear of rejection is by far the number one, number one reason that people don't make it, uh, especially in sales. The number two is, is right behind that for bravery is emotional involvement. Now, emotional involvement is, is massive uh, in terms of the impact it has. Now, it's right behind fear of rejection. So you realize that if, if we looked at fear of rejection and we look at emotional involvement, you will address close to 75% of the cause of the reason most people don't make it in sales. So these two are a massive one-two punch. And today, I want to take a look at one of those, which is the emotional involvement, and give you some insights on what it is, why we have it, and then, of course, the magic is, how do you fix it? So let's deal with emotional involvement. Now, emotional involvement is not the same as fear of rejection. Emotional involvement is not the same as futile emotional states. Futile emotional states is where you physically can be either right where your feet are, right, the present moment, but your mind can be either behind you in the past or in the future, uh, which is in front of you, right? So futile emotional states is when your mind wanders either to the past, which is reliving things that already happened and then you feel bad about it. That's called guilt and you can't let it go. So you relive it over and over and over again. Or you have worry and worry is really thinking about the future and that creates anxiety and anxiety either motivates you or it demotivates you. And if it motivates you, that's great. It's called motivation. And But demotivation is called worry. And worry is when you think about the future and you're concerned about what has to happen, but you don't do anything in the present moment to change it. So guilt and worry are areas that are not part of emotional involvement. That's part of what we call futile emotional states. Now, emotional involvement is this. It's, 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 we've all been there. We've all seen it happen. We've all lived it before. Right? I don't know about you, but I can't tell you how many times I will be in the middle of a story and I'm telling a story and it's a good story and I'm, I'm adding flavor to it and you're getting to the context, right? And you're, you're, you're really you know, making it a good story. But as you're starting to explain the story, for whatever reason, you can see the face of the actor. You can even see other movies and shows they've been in. But as you're as you're describing this new series you're seeing on Netflix or Hulu or right all these different services. So as you're explaining to your friends this great new show that you saw, and you're explaining how great the 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 show is, and then they turn around and say, "Well, who's in it?" And you can explain, well, they've been in this show. They've also been in that show. And they were a B player in this one. And they acted in that one. But you can't remember the name. Yeah, you can see the face. Yes, you can see other things they've done. But, oh, that filing cabinet that has their name and it just doesn't want to be opened. How about maybe when you're watching TV and you see the people on, you know, The Price is Right or any of those Jeopardy shows where they ask a question like, oh, I know the answer. And you just jot out the answer. And, and, and you're like, wow, I could be great at this show if I just someone let me on. Well, 
you know, the game shows, it's not about knowing information. The pressure is knowing the information with massive cameras pointing at you, the audience there, individuals on these stands that hold the cameras, all the lights just focused in on you. So it's 9,000 degrees inside that room. That's when you have to know the answer, not sitting in your living room by yourself. So it's not about knowing the information. The key to this is retaining the information. And, and we know what emotional involvement is. If you've been there before, where you're in a meeting, something's asked of you, something you have to do, either something you have to say or some questions you have to ask. But it's not like you remember it. It's just that your brain shuts off. And as you leave the meeting and get back into your car or hang up the Zoom or they leave your building, how many times have you hit yourself on top of the head like the old V8 commercials say, oh man, I should have said this. Why didn't I say that? I could have said this when they asked me this question. So why is it that we are an amazing, amazing Monday morning quarterback after the heat of the battle? We got to make sure we understand this. If you remember what to do at the end of the battle, that means you know what to do during the battle. You just couldn't remember it. So if you do a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, if you do a lot of post-mortem, right? If you do a lot of, I could have said, I should have said, why didn't I say? So if you do a lot of what it could have, should have, right afterwards, not a chance where you have to debrief and sit on it for four hours, you know, or seven, seven days and start thinking of different tactics that you could have done. But I'm talking about is afterwards, maybe you can even think of some disputes that you've had with your significant other or meetings you've had with friends. And after the conversation was over, you're like, oh man, I should have said this. And that was a better response to this. And so Again, it's not an issue about knowing. It's not an issue about knowledge. Emotional involvement is about retention, the ability to recall. See, this is really important to get. When we look at the cause of problems, because you need to understand what the cause is so you can understand what to do to fix it. So if you're in a meeting with somebody and your brain says, Ask them this. Do not do that. Answer it this way. If your brain tells you what to do or what not to do, and you go ahead and do it anyways, that is not emotional involvement. That's what we call fear of rejection historically. So if I turn around and someone asks me a question, and I say to myself, oh man, I, I need to supposed to say this, or I need to say that, or here's the rebuttal I need to, to say, oh, but they may not like me, or that may upset the apple cart, or I'm not sure that's going to progress the sale. So all of a sudden we know what to say, but honestly, we wimp out about asking it. So wimping out is knowing what to do, but choosing not to do it. That is fear of rejection. Knowing what to do after the heat of the battle is emotional involvement. Now, what I mean by emotional involvement is that, again, it's the time proximity after the event that is critical. If after the event, relatively quickly, you have the ideas pop in your head, oh, man, 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 there they are, 
And what it means is, is that during the heat of the battle, you couldn't retain it. You couldn't capture it. You couldn't get to it. So if you can't get to it during the heat of the battle, honestly, it doesn't do you any good. So what we want to do is have the ability to understand what emotional involvement is and how we can deal with it. So one of the things that I'd like you to walk you through is this just a little sequential steps of what is emotional involvement, how does it happen, where does it happen, and then how we can deal with it. So let me give you the easy version first. That easy version is, is really understanding the four sequential steps that occur during emotional involvement. And then we'll pick these things apart and we'll talk about them. So Emotional involvement, again, is, is something where when we look at the success triangle, it's not a technique issue necessarily, it's not a behavioral issue necessarily, it's more of an attitudinal issue. So what happens is someone may present you with a question. It could be anything. It could be a negotiating, it could be on pricing, it could be on delivery, it could be on how old you are, it could be just a technical question. Hey, tell me a little bit about X versus Y. Now, here are the four steps I want to walk you through. The first is when they ask a question of you, the first step of emotional involvement is an episode occurs. So on your note, notes, an episode occurs. That means something happens that either they say, they ask, they do, their tone, their body language, the words they use, something got you emotional. So the first step is an episode occurs. Now, again, that could be something of, hey, how long have you been in the business? That could be something as, hey, this all looks really, really well, but the price you're asking is insane. So we don't know what triggers it, but you do. So the first step is something triggers an episode. So an episode occurs, step one. And we're gonna come back to each of these in a second. Step two is, you lack conviction in your ability to handle that episode. So the first step is an episode occurs. The second step is lack of conviction. So lack of conviction means that the second they ask you that question or they present the scenario or the episode happens, you do not have conviction in your own mind, in your own heart, that you know how to handle this. You know what to say. You know what the right thing is to say. You don't have any of it. So because you lack conviction, we go to the third step. The third step of emotional involvement is panic. And panic is when an episode happens, you don't have conviction on how to handle it, and your brain goes, uh-oh, and panic sets in. Your heart beats faster. You get nervous. And that's where the beginning of the end happens. Panic creates in a nanosecond step number four, which is called self-talk. So you go from an episode, a lack of conviction, to panic to self-talk. And by the way, that all happens in about a blink of an eye. Self-talk is your internal dialogue dealing with your panic. 
So self-talk could be, oh, sugar, right? Oh, Christmas trees, oh, something. Oh my gosh. It could be, why did I ask that question? It could be, see, I told myself I never should have uh, started talking to wealthier people or get outside my comfort zone. So our self-talk is our internal mechanism, our internal script, and how we're handling the panic. There's lots of problems with this all over the place. But those are the four steps. Episode, lack of conviction, panic, and self-talk. Now let's take a look at each of these. The key here, you have to realize, is when this episode occurs, and you say to yourself, uh-oh, my gosh, even if you practiced it a hundred times, but you don't have conviction on how to handle it, everything you practiced is imagine a filing cabinet sitting right next to you. It's literally, imagine a really, really small filing cabinet in your back pocket. Now I'm old, so think about a metal filing cabinet, an old school filing cabinet. You actually open it up inside there, there's 30, 40, 50 files, all alphabetized, and inside each file has paperwork. So when the episode occurs and panic sets in, what panic does is it literally shuts the door of the filing cabinet, shuts it and locks it. And during the heat of the battle, you can't open that door. You're forgetting it. And then when the heat of the battle ends, either the conversation, either the phone call, the Zoom meeting, whatever it is, when it ends, you can literally feel the pressure really just drain right out of your toes. It's like your, like your feet open up and you can feel the pressure from your head slowly drain down to your shoulders, slowly drain down to your chest, down to your, your, your waist, and then down to your knees. It just slowly drains out of you. And it is interesting as it's slowly draining out of you, bam, the technique pops in your head. So as we start to regain our consciousness, the technique floods us in the brain. So it's not an issue of not knowing what to do. The issue is in the heat of the battle, we can't actually capture the tactics. And we can't capture the tactics because we panic. See, when we panic, we do self-talk. Now, there's lots of issues with this. Some rules you need to remember. First rule is be a third person to your own selling events. Be a third person to your own selling events. Be a third person to your own selling events. Isn't it interesting that I've done it for years. I have people do this all the time. You're going to call someone first chair, which is the person that, based on seniority, is going to run the sales call. Second chair is typically the person who is um, junior to that individual, whatever junior looks like. So I always find it intriguing, and which, by the way, it's true, that people that are in more of the observer role, how come they hear 
different things than the person in chair one does? How come chair two has the ability to pick up stuff that chair one missed? How is it that the chair two can get an understanding of the tone of what's being asked much more though than chair one? Isn't it interesting that chair one who's running the meeting, managing the meeting, may actually not be in tune to what's happening in the meeting as much as the chair two is. And a lot of the times it's because chair two is quote unquote unemotional. They're not thinking about where they are. They're not necessarily thinking about or strategizing where they're going. And the other thing that another rule besides being a third person to your own selling event is during a sales call, leave your child in the car and, you know, crack the window, but what that means is not leave your kid in a car. I mean, how awful is that? What I mean is, is that you leave your child ego state in the car. So if you're going on a sales call and you're on the third floor of this building, leave your emotions, leave your child ego state in the car, leave it behind you and go have your meeting internally. Because you know what panics? Your kid. It's the kid ego state that panics. So having the ability to make sure that A, we're a third person is all important. I get that. Another rule that I want you to think about is this. And this is a big one. I remember David Sandler giving me this to, to me. I think the first month I was hired, we went down to onboarding class. And it made a huge impact on me because I was always nervous asking certain questions to certain people in the beginning I don't want to be pushy, which again is another part of fear of rejection. But the rule is this, the value you bring to others, the value you bring to your clients, the value you bring to those in which you support has more to do with the information you get in the information you give. I'll give it to you again in layman's terms. The size of your commission check and how much you can help somebody. The size of your commission check and how much you can help somebody has more to do with the amount of information you get than the amount of information you give. So when we look at emotional involvement, there's a couple of things that I want to share with you on how to solve this. And it happens all over the place. The first piece is understanding what causes panic. The hardest piece is identifying step one, which is the episode. Let me give you a couple of examples. I was coaching a woman in Stanford, amazing, amazing salesperson. She came over from the UK, had a very successful entrepreneurial background in terms of family. I uh, came over here, started up a different division of the father's company and just wildly successful. It was interesting because the division that she was opening up here was for a different demographics. It was really for individuals in their 40s. And she was amazing. Yet it was ironic that any time that she started to sell to corporations that were run by 
or the decisions were made by an older male. And when that occurred, she did not do well. So in essence, whenever she was confronted by an older male, she would panic. How about another individual who, when they go in and sit down with somebody, they do great with their peers, but all of a sudden when someone turns to them and says, hey, just a quick question, how long have you been in the business? And they haven't been in the business that long. And they're panicking because they feel like the questions being asked of them is, do you even know what the hell you're doing? So they panic. What about if you're really efficient and effective in this one product line, but your company's asked you to cross-sell? They've asked you to go in and have the ability to cross-reference and expand on certain accounts. Well, maybe you're in there and you're now having the dialogue with some of the key stakeholders on this new product or new idea. And then they ask you a few questions that you're not ready for, or you don't know. And you panic. Clear you're not a Sandler person, so you're not reversing and asking the right questions, but they ask a question. So either cross-selling, maybe you're first new to sales, maybe it's a certain type of person. Is it a male? Is it a female? Is it a younger person, an older person? What about someone's tone? I remember when we first got in the business and we had a massive snowstorm and this is up in, in Connecticut. And I believe it's in Waterbury right off of a highway called 84. And the name of the insurance company I'll leave out, but I met the sales manager at a networking meeting. I was so excited that during the course of the conversation, we found some problems he enjoyed our conversation. Now he wanted me to meet is basically his boss. Now, when we took a look at the scenario, I asked at the time my leader, uh, Stephen, to come with me because I was outside my skis on this one. I've only been in the business for 30 days. So Stephen shows up. Now, it's a good hour and a half drive for Stephen, good hour and a half drive for me. We get there, it's a bloody snowstorm. Steven's an early riser, so he left his house really early just to make sure he gets there on time. Really early, I get there. We walk upstairs, we're sitting in the waiting room and the manager who I met comes out and says, hey Glenn, how are you? Really happy you guys are here. Hey, listen, we have a major compliance issue. You're gonna have to meet with so-and-so without me. So Steven turns to me and kind of raise an eyebrow, like this is going to be interesting. And out comes the boss, right? He's the one that runs the insurance company. The building is, is all theirs. We're on the top floor and it's privately held. So this individual owns the building and owns the company and has hundreds of hundreds of people working for him. We walk down the hallway and how he greets us as he walks out to the main area, reception area, he just pops his head out. He goes, are you so-and-so and so-and-so? Yep. He turns to, uh, to both of us, doesn't say hello, doesn't do anything, just says, come with me, and pops his head back into the hallway from where he was, and the door shuts behind him. So we open the door, we start following him down the hallway. When we sit down in the chair, 
The first thing he says out of his mouth is, I just want to make sure that you guys realize something. I think all consultants are full of blank. And it wasn't a nice word. I just want to let you know all up front that I think all consultants are full of blank. My heart stopped. I was like, oh my God, that's the first thing he says out of his mouth. I just brought my boss down an hour and a half. And without missing a beat, my boss, my mentor turns and says, well, I guess it's going to be a really short meeting because more times than not, most prospects lie through their teeth because I guess we'll be even. My mentor who owned the consulting business stared at him for literally three seconds. And that three seconds when one tells you that I think you're all full of junk and the response is, well, that's okay because most of you lie anyways. And I was just like, oh my Lord. And within three more seconds, the owner of the other firm starts to laugh. And he says, you know, you may not be wrong on that one too. And 45 minutes later, we left with a contract and a check. And I don't remember one thing that was said besides, I just want to let you know that all consultants are full of blank. Because he said that, I got emotionally involved. I lost body fluids that second. I lost years of my life, right? All in that second. And my mentor, Stephen, didn't even blink an eye. The guy threw it out there. He turned around, threw it right back at him. And because of that, there was equal playing ground. And he was not emotionally involved at all. So when we take a look at how to solve this, you got to understand what creates your emotional involvement. Is it the size of the deal? Is it the size of, the, of how much money? Is it the increase of the money? Is it the tone of the person? Is it the age of the person? Is it the title of the person? You must understand the cause. And I will tell you, one of the best ways I have found to do this is by finding someone in your office, if you're in sales, and ask them, hey, go on five joint calls with me, and I'm going to go on joint calls with you. And I want you to observe my nonverbals and get an idea of when I get uncomfortable. Because quite honestly, when you get uncomfortable and your brain shuts down, you actually don't really even remember what the hell just happened. So it's good to have someone there to give you a memorex. So one is you got to understand what caused it to happen. It's the hardest piece of the entire process. Because when we look at how to solve this, the first step always is you have to admit that you have the problem. Look, I get emotionally involved. I panic and I shut down. The second piece is you got to understand what causes it to happen. Again, that's the hardest one. So do some joint work if you can. Watch your Zooms if you're doing that. Have the ability to do that just to see what causes you to get off kilter. A lot of us have what this thing is, a psychological term called leaking, which is when your body is uncomfortable and you physically have to do something to show uncomfortability. So if you know people who play poker and some other things, they're looking for tells. Uh, psychologically, it's called a leak. And a leak is when your body has to, has to show that it's somewhat stressed, right? So it leaks out this little nonverbal cue. Like I had one of my guys that used to work for me, uh, Kevin, and every time that he would get nervous, he would take the back of his hand and rub right around the base of his neck, right where the, the hairline was, and just kind of scratch it a little bit. And I always knew he was really nervous on the telephone when he started scratching the back of his neck. So what causes you to get emotionally involved? Now, here comes number two of the process. Once you understand what causes it to happen, step two is you must learn the tactic or strategy on how to handle it. 
The reason you get emotionally involved is you don't have conviction. So the way to gain conviction is ownership. The way to gain ownership is practice. Not practicing till you get it right, practicing till you never get it wrong. So lack of conviction be is because you don't have ownership. It's not about knowledge. It's about ownership. So once you identify what it is, the second piece is learn the right tactic or strategy and how to handle it. Step two. Now, step three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine are all the same. Role play, role play, role play, role play, role play, role play, role play. Uh, some of you are new and you've never seen the Pink Panther. The Pink Panther is a detective. And regardless of his skill set, he's a detective. And he has uh, a, a butler that helps him, Cato. And what he does is he asks this individual to, at any given moment, attack me. And he wants always to be in his guard. He always wants to be on, on edge. And the West, best way to do that is constantly attack me when I'm not ready. So one of the things we have to do is, is role play, role play, role play is, yes, we have to role play in a structured manner, but we also want impromptus. You want your friend to walk down the hallway as he's passing you and just say, hey, how long have you been in the business? And if it takes you a second to know the answer, you don't own it. You're dead. So you have to learn the material, but you also have to understand the difference between knowing and owning it. Owning it means that anyone can ask you at any given moment in any environment a question and you can answer it. So you're out to dinner with your significant other and he or she turns and says, hey, by the way, would you like some uh, wine with dinner? And by the way, do your referral talk, go. And you should be able to say, I would love wine, boom, off it goes. You can't think. Thinking is the beginning of the end. So when you take a look at emotional involvement, take a look at understanding what causes it to happen from cause of happening is you must gain conviction. Conviction is your belief that you can do it and you can do it right. That is confidence in your ability to perform in the act that's being asked of you. You don't have that. That creates panic, which creates self-talk. Uh, and self-talk is the beginning and the end. Because when you, once you start talking to yourself, you're never listening to the prospect. You have to remember, a prospect will always tell you what you need to know to close them if they're closable. Let me give it to you again. A prospect will always, always, always tell you what you need to know to close them if they're closable. You just got to listen. So when we're taking a look at emotional involvement, make sure that, you know, your third person, your own selling event, leave your kid in the car, right? All those are good rules. You got to identify what causes you to panic. Panic happens because you don't have conviction in yourself and or your tactics. So once you understand what causes it, learn the tactics until you have pure ownership. Pure ownership is, I remember when I had a problem with, for instance, asking for referrals, and uh, Mark at the time was, was, was my boss, my mentor. He would have a tennis ball. And right in the middle of our conversations, he would take the tennis ball and throw it at me. And the second I would catch it, he'd ask me a question or he'd ask me to do a role play. I never knew what it was going to be. I never knew where it was coming from. And then we did that in the office. Now, what Mark did is, is that then we would go out of the office. And I never realized but, you know, at the time, but he would bring the ball with him. And we'd go to the restaurant. We started having... Food. We start to be eating right in the middle of our derbs. You throw the tennis ball across the, the table. I'm like, oh my, what's going on? He goes, go, 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 go. So we have to learn to adapt to the environments that we're in. 
So it's just not, okay, are you ready to role play? Yes, now let's role play. Because isn't that real world? I don't know. I don't think so. I think sometimes we're in the middle of a, a sales call and something comes up. So why wouldn't you call, if you have a study group, why wouldn't you call one of your peers right up out of the blue and ask a question, see if they can handle it right away? If they can handle it right away, that means they own it. If they have to think about it, not ownership. And when you think is when you get emotionally involved. So hopefully that we've gone through a small piece of emotional involvement. It is by far the second largest roadblock that we have when it comes to bravery issues. And the interesting thing is it's actually one of the easiest ones to fix. See, fear of rejection takes nine months if you work on it every day to fix on it. Emotional involvement is having the experience not to panic. So experience comes from lots and lots of practice and experience comes from doing. So as we start to take a look at our very first session, which is emotional involvement in our, our new season, we'll give you some good tips on how to regain your emotion and not lose your control during a meeting or a sales call. And just remember, if you knew what the answer was, but you knew it after the heat of the battle, that means you have knowledge. You don't have ownership. And ownership is the difference between emotional involvement and not. Remember, the ability for you to impact people, the ability for you to impact your own life with commissions and others. Of course, we're doing all this legally and ethically, but there is an indication that the more money that you can make, the greater impact that you can have with your clients is more about the information that you can get from individuals than it is about giving. So make sure that we have the ability to get the right information the right way by not getting emotionally involved. The average individual can grow between 28 and 33% by just fixing this one issue. So work on your emotional involvement. Make sure that you put yourself in, in uncomfortable situations often so that uncomfortability becomes normal. When uncomfortability becomes normal, then it becomes comfortable. So practice on getting yourself outside your comfort zones. Practice on putting yourself in uncomfortable positions so that your body and your mind will panic. And the more it panics, the more you start to realize, I'm okay, I didn't die, right? Nothing really happened to me. What I was afraid of didn't occur. So when those experiences happen, we start to realize there's really not much to panic about. So emotional involvement is by far the second biggest reason and bravery issue that we have. You will find that if you identify what caused it to happen, and then identify what you need to do to learn how to solve that and then own it. And if you've heard me speak in the past, the tool that I would highly suggest that you use is called an Attitude Behavioral Journal. Feel free to send me a text anytime you want to and I'll send you out the leader's guide on how to use it. It's by far one of the best tools that we have that can help you take baby steps and rewriting your belief systems to stay unemotional. Best of luck. Hope you're well. Look forward to you for the next session of the Building Blocks of Success. This is the Building Blocks of Success with Glenn Matson.